welcome to European Pharmaceutical Reviews podcast. In this episode, we're exploring bioavailability enhancement in oral drug products with the help of Dr. Deanna Moody, a principal scientist in research and development at Lonza's site in Bend, Oregon, US. Deanna has been focused on enabling bioavailability, enhancing amorphous solid dispersions by developing dosage form platforms and in vitro dissolution methodologies to predict bioperformance since she joined Lonza in 2016. My name is Hannah Balfour. I'm the assistant editor of European Pharmaceutical Review, and I will be your host today. In this podcast, Deanna will discuss the importance of bioavailability enhancement for oral drug formulations such as amorphous solid dispersions, or ASDs, and describe some of the methods used to achieve desired bioavailability. She'll also explain the value of dissolution testing when developing oral drug products, and impart her top tips for how you can select the correct dissolution media that will enable you to get the most out of your dissolution testing. Hi, Deanna. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Hannah. It's great to be here. So... Could you start off by telling me a little bit about your role and your experience in the pharmaceutical industry? Sure. So I'm a principal scientist in the R&D group at Lanza, and I lead projects that are focused on creating formulation platforms and also developing in vitro tools for amorphous solid dispersion drug products. Um, And these are used to enhance the bioavailability of a drug. Um, And my projects at Lanz are really aimed at streamlining the drug product development and also enhancing performance of these products. Um, Before joining Lanza, I have previous industrial experience at um, two major pharmaceutical companies, which are Merck and Pfizer. And at these companies, I spent time developing and manufacturing solid oral dosage forms from the preclinical to the commercial scales. Fabulous. Well, Later on, we're going to talk a little bit about dissolution testing and why it's so important in drug development. But before we get on to that, we need to understand a few things first. So could you tell me what is bioavailability and how do dissolution rate and solubility impact a drug's bioavailability? Sure. So for oral drugs, bioavailability is the fraction of the administered dose that actually reaches your systemic circulation or your bloodstream unchanged. So bioavailability needs to be high um, so that all or most of the drug is available um, in the bloodstream where it can reach the site of action. And so in order to do so, in order to reach the systemic circulation, solid oral drug products must have high solubility so that they can dissolve in in the gastrointestinal fluids And then they also must permeate through the intestinal wall. Um, So key drug properties, as I mentioned, that affect dissolution are solubility, and then also factors such as the particle size of the drug and the lipophilicity and molecular weight um, can affect things like dissolution and also the permeation across the intestinal wall. Also to be bioavailable, once the drug reaches the systemic circulation, it must also escape metabolism in the intestinal wall and the liver. And so whether a drug is metabolized depends on some key drug properties, um, some of them being lipophilicity, um, the presence of hydrogen bond donors and acceptors, and also the charge of the molecule. Um, And why is bioavailability enhancement so important to pharmaceutical research and development? 
So bioavailability enhancement um, can be really important because it has the potential to bring oral medicines to the market that otherwise would never make it. It can also improve existing medicines for patients, such as um, by removing constraints, like patients needing to take a drug either with or without food. Um, and it can also reduce differences in day-to-day -day or patient-to-patient -patient variability. And it also has the potential to reduce the overall dose of a drug product. And is it true that more than 80% of new chemical entities are have low solubility, low bioavailability, and or are sort of inconsistent in how they dissolve? Yeah, so um, many, many molecules out there um, have, as you mentioned, this um, poor solubility challenge. So these are classified as being um, on the biopharmaceutics classification system, being denoted as um, class two and four drugs. So class two having poor solubility and high permeability, and class four having both poor solubility and poor permeability, which can be um, an extreme challenge um, for getting the drug in the body and getting it working for patients. And what methods are there that can be used to enhance bioavailability since it's so important? So um, there are several methods. Um, one of the main methods for improving bioavailability of a given drug is actually to improve its solubility um, and or its dissolution rate in the gastrointestinal fluids. Um, so some key ways of doing this are to reduce the particle size of the drug, for example, of a crystalline drug form. Um, another thing you can do is um, actually create a salt form of the drug, which has the potential to improve the solubility. And you can also create different types of formulations. So there are lipid-based formulations out there and also amorphous solid dispersion formulations. Um, so another, um, another method which is generally more challenging than improving the solubility um, is also by improving the permeability of the drug. So um, this can sometimes be done by creating a prodrug, for example, um, also including permeation enhancers in the formulation or by creating nano-sized drug species in the formulation. Fabulous. And you're an expert in amorphous uh, solid dispersions. So could you tell me a little bit about them? Um, what is an amorphous solid dispersion and why is it used? How is it beneficial? Sure. Um, so amorphous solid dispersions, which I'm going to abbreviate as ASDs um, for the remainder of the talk. Um, so these are used to enhance the bioavailability of drugs, as I mentioned and specifically for drugs that have poor solubility in gastrointestinal fluids. So they work by using the amorphous form of the drug, and the amorphous form has a higher activity, so a higher solubility than the crystalline form. And ASDs um, contain not only the amorphous drug, um, but they also contain a polymer matrix. And the amorphous drug is actually dispersed in this polymer matrix, and that's actually used to stabilize the amorphous form of the drug, not only in gastrointestinal fluids, but also during storage, since the amorphous form is thermodynamically unstable. And we have several ways of creating ASDs. Um, one is by spray drying, that's one of the major methods. Another major method is through hot melt extrusion, and there are several other methods as well. And are there any particular kinds of drugs that benefit from this kind of bioavailability enhancement? Do you have any examples of what kinds of products can benefit from being an ASD? 
Sure. So um, a, a big target would be, um, of course, drug products that are administered orally and those that have poor solubility, so biopharmaceutics classification system two and four drugs. There are actually more than 20 ASD drug products on the market um, approved for commercial use. And some examples are, um, for example, Kaleidico, which is made by Vertex, um, and this is used to treat cystic fibrosis. And then Kaletra is another example um, made by AbbVie for, tre for treating HIV. And what are kind of the key considerations or processes when developing an ASD? Um, and how can you test or predict how well a drug will appear in the bloodstream? So um, like any um, pharmaceutical drug product, um, drug developers need to make sure that ASD drug products um, not only achieve high performance in the body, but that they also remain stable over the drug product shelf life. And in addition to those factors, there are other factors that must be taken into account, such as dosage form, size, and shape, um, and also the ability to manufacture these dosage forms while increasing throughput and, and minimizing cost. Um, and so um, for ASDs, as I mentioned, um, they're thermodynamically unstable in the amorphous state. Um, so making sure that they work well in the body and that they're stable throughout the product shelf life requires careful consideration, for example, of the type and amount of stabilizing polymer um, and also other excipients in the formulation, and also just a, a knowledge of the key drug and formulation properties, as well as the physiological properties that impact their performance. And um, since all drugs are different, um, we really need to do testing um, for every drug product and every formulation that's being developed to make sure that it's gonna perform well and, and be physically stable. So when we're talking specifically about performance, um, we wanna know, you know how quickly is a drug gonna be absorbed, um, which, gonna, which is gonna affect how quickly it reaches the bloodstream. Um, so scientists have developed many types of benchtop in vitro tests, and these, car, these are called dissolution tests. And so, um, in vitro dissolution testing has really been the gold standard um, for helping to assess um, not only how quickly, but to what extent a drug appears in the bloodstream um, for many years. And um, more recently, um, scientists um, really use the tool of combining this in vitro testing also with computer modeling um, to help um, get the best assessment for how drugs will perform. That's a really interesting development. There's been so much digitalization and integration recently. So, Deanna, can you tell me what in vitro dissolution testing involves? So, um, during dissolution testing, um, one thing that scientists can do is they can attempt to simulate the gastrointestinal environment using beakers or, let's say, glass vessels. Um, so, these vessels can contain fluid that's similar to the fluid present in the gastrointestinal tract. And they can also incorporate some other physiological aspects, for example, fluid mixing and also how a dosage form transits, let's say, from the stomach into the small intestine. And um, what scientists do is they add the drug product into these vessels, and then they can use analytical techniques to measure how fast and how much of a drug is going to dissolve. And could you give me some examples of the different types of dissolution media currently available in, and in use? Sure. So um, 
there are a lot of types of dissolution media out there, and that actually can make it challenging um, for formulation scientists, let's say, to, to choose which one to use. So um, simple dissolution media has been around actually for a long time, even since the 1950s. Examples of this media would be, say, a simple phosphate buffer. Um, but since then, um, newer media has been designed to actually try to mimic gastrointestinal fluids. And it has also continued to evolve as um, we've gained understanding and our knowledge of gastrointestinal physiology. So in addition to that, um, many different versions of these media can exist um, also to be tailored, for example, to different species. So we can have fluids that are tailored to humans and also tailored to dogs. And they can also be tailored to mimic um, different regions in the gastrointestinal tract. For example, the saliva, the stomach, um, fluids in the small intestine, and in the colon. And how can pharmaceutical scientists actually go about selecting the right one? You mentioned there's such a diverse array. Uh, what would be your suggestions for how to pick the right media? Sure. So um, one thing we like to do at Lanza is really to take kind of a three-step approach um, to selecting dissolution media. So the first thing we want to do is determine the dissolution testing goal. Um, we then want to determine what the target population of interest is. So I had mentioned, you know, maybe we're targeting clinical studies in humans or dogs or another species. And then we need to select the dissolution apparatus, but then also importantly, the dissolution media that's going to capture the key fluid properties that um, are expected to affect dissolution of that given formulation. Um, so if I can give sort of give an example of this where one goal of dissolution testing might be to rank newly developed formulations in order to select the best formulations to carry forward, um, for example, into phase one human trials. So in this case, we should select media that capture key properties of human intestinal fluid. Um, and for example, if we know that our drug product contains a basic drug, um, we know it's going to have a pH-dependent dissolution, so we need to make sure that we select media, um, for example, that uses a pH gradient that a drug is going to experience when it moves um, from the stomach to the small intestine. And how can this kind of dissolution medium selection approach really help companies to get the most out of um, to get the most out of their testing when they're developing new drugs? Yeah, so um, when developing drug product formulations, really um, speed to market, um, efficiency to market, so minimizing cost, and, and um, also making sure that, you know, when you do a clinical trial that the, the drug is going to perform in the first place is, is really important. Um, so when you use a dissolution medium selection approach like this, it can be really powerful um, because it combines the knowledge of key physiological properties but also of the drug formulation properties in order to select the media that's going to be the most predictive of in vivo performance. And so this can really enable um, really right first-time development and also reduce the cost and um, increase the development speed of medicines to the market. Um, and Deanna, could you tell me how, run me through sort of the properties that of a drug that impacts how quickly it will dissolve in gastrointestinal fluids? 
Sure. So um, there are many properties of the, the drug substance itself as well as the drug product. So for the drug substance, um, knowing what its acid-base character is, so is it an acid, a base, or a neutral compound, and what's its pKa, also knowing um, how lipophilic it is um, can have a main effect, as well as factors such as um, its melting point um, are really important. And then as far as the, the physical um, aspects of the, the drug, so um, its particle size is important, so smaller particles dissolve more quickly than large particles. And then once it's in a dosage form, you know, is the dosage form designed um, to dissolve immediately, so such as an immediate release tablet, um, things like the porosity of that tablet are important. Or in other cases, a drug product might actually be designed to release, um, say, later in the intestinal tract, and it might be designed with um, a pH-dependent polymer, um, and the polymer might be designed um, to, say, release the drug in the small intestine. So knowing these properties, so not only of the drug, but of the excipients in the formulation and the way the dosage form is designed is very important. Unfortunately, that's all we have time to discuss today. Thank you, Deanna, for joining us and for your wonderful insights into bioavailability and enhancement and particularly your guidance on how companies can select the best dissolution medias for testing their oral drug products. On behalf of European Pharmaceutical Review, Lonza, and Dr. Deanna Moody, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode.